Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. How y'all doing? I'm pretty good. A little bit of snow. Valentine's Day. This is pre-Valentine's Day. It's like the warm-up for it. And we're kicking off a a new series, and we have notes. Yeah, some of you, you're like, you walked in and got one of these, you're like, uh, are we going back to school? Some of you who are longtime people at Cape Cod Church, you go way back, you know, Route 28, you'll remember the fill-ins. You're like, you're feeling nostalgic right now, like, some of you are like, yes, I got something to fill out. And some of you are like, what is this? So here's what you do. This is like Wordle for church. Those of you who play Wordle know exactly what I'm doing. Don't get consumed with it. We're going to get to it as, as we go along. But I wanted to give you something to follow along in this new series because it is going to be, um, it's going to be the kind of thing that has the content where it might be good to go back and read the verses and review it. And I want to make sure you had it in hand because we're talking about unexpected Jesus. Jesus came to us in the most unexpected of ways, and we celebrate that as Christmas. And of course, he would ultimately make the most unexpected of claims about himself that he was God in the flesh. And that would get him killed. But that's a story for another day coming not far in the future. Along the way, he said the most unexpected of things. His his teachings at every turn flipped the script. What he said, what he taught, who he called, who he empowered were almost always contrary to what people expected. And 2,000 years later, we're still wrestling with it. We're still wrestling with the unexpected nature and what we expect and maybe what we want and what Jesus taught. So for a few weeks... I want to talk about unexpected Jesus, and here's why. Because clarity builds confidence. And when you have clarity around what Jesus was saying and what he was doing and who he was calling, it builds a confident faith. So, unexpected Jesus. We could start here with a simple phrase, born again. I can see some of us got tense. Hair in the back of our neck went up. We're not sure what to do with that. Born again. They've even come out with clever bumper stickers that say born right the first time because people are just like, <laughs> you, know, so you may have one, I don't know. Uh, born again. And, and maybe, like, like me, I've had people ask me, are you 
one of those, you know, born-againers. It's usually said like that. Like, like they, they turn the verb <laughs> into a, or, or the noun, uh, the verb into a noun. Like, it's one of those. Like, and, and, and my response is usually, what do you mean? I want to know what you mean about that because what you mean and what Jesus said may be different things. And what you mean, I may say, no, no, I'm not one of those. But what Jesus said, I'm trying. That's what I'm aiming for. Jesus actually introduces us to this, this term in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Let me read to you this, this story. We've, we've read it before, but it reads well, and it lays the groundwork. John chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. In other words, we're on the same team, but you're doing it better than we are. Can you give us a little bit of that miracle mojo, right? And Jesus replied to him, and his reply is, it's, it's curt, and it's, it stops him in his tracks. He says, I tell you the truth. That's like when somebody says, can I tell you something? And you're like, oh, this is not going to go good. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. <laughs> Not what Nicodemus was expecting. So Nicodemus says in verse 4, What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? Like, how can a man, an old man, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, mm, You're not getting it. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. And here he's referring to physical birth and the spirit spiritual birth. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Then, because he knows that Nicodemus and we would not fully follow him, he picks up this thought in verse 13, let me read it to you. He explains how this actually happens in your life and my life. He says, no one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So Jesus is saying, listen, I know the deal. I've been there. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, and, and now Jesus is referring to a story every Jew would have known, and he's speaking to a Jewish religious leader. He's talking to that moment when the nation of Israel is in the wilderness, and they're sick because of uh, snakes that have bitten them, and this pole is raised up. And, the, and, and it simply God tells him, just look at the pole in faith and be healed. And watch what happens. He says, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's talking about Jesus and the cross and himself. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's giving his, his, his big unexpected idea that salvation is a gift to be accepted. It's not a right to be earned. It's a gift to be accepted. And for 2,000 years, we've been, we've been wrestling with this because, because there's something in us that just wants to that just wants to pay for it, that wants to earn it, that wants to merit it. It's just, it's part of our fiber. We, we're wired. You get what you deserve. You get what you pay for. We're just, we're just wired that way. When I go to the grocery store and I load up the grocery carriage and I go to the thing, I hold my breath. Because what's coming is not good. It's always worse than you thought, right? It's like, how is it that much? I just came for one. I'm just getting stuff for tonight. Could have gone out to eat for half of that, right? It's like, it's like you know, you know there's a cost. This is why when you go through the drive-thru at Dunks and you order this stuff, they, they tell you before you get to the window, they tell you what it's going to cost. It's like they're preparing you for the pain. Like, oh, that's $17.99. And then you get to the window and you know. And what do you do? You're getting ready to pay because you don't get your coffee and your muffin if you don't pay. And then every once in a while they say, hey, the person in front of you paid for you. And you're like, oh. And, and as soon as the joy flows over you, the, the gnawing feeling that you're supposed to pay for the person in back of you comes. Right? And you're looking back and you're hoping there's nobody there. I know what you do. <laughs> and then you're looking back of you and it's a contractor's truck and he just bought food for the whole crew. <laughs> you say, how much for that guy? And it's $29.99. Now what are you going to do, right? Because we're, 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 we're wired. Like we're wired for this. For this you get what you pay for. And I encounter it all the time when I talk to people and the subject of heaven comes up and, and some people will just dismiss the idea of eternity and God and relationship and heaven, but, but some of them assume there's something and they're just hoping it all works out. And if you ask them, how are you going to go there? And they say, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not great. Nobody, nobody says they're great, I'm, but I'm good. I'm good enough right? Enough. Like God grades on a curve. That's what we're hoping. Do you ever have a teacher to grade it on a curve? And the one kid in the class that always ruined it? I was never that kid. Just, just saying, you're safe with me, right? But great, God doesn't grade on a curve. And what he's saying here is, listen, this, this thing, this, this salvation, it's a gift. It's a, it's a gift to be accepted, 
He's done all the work through Jesus Christ and he gives us a gift so that we can say yes to it. And frankly, frankly, this is why every week I come to the end of the service and I recognize that most people, their story's not starting right here. There's a long story that brought you to the seat you're sitting in today, but I don't know that story and I don't know what God's been doing in your life. What I do know is that God's doing something in your life. So at the end of every week, I just, I get to a place where I just say, hey, at the end of the service, maybe this is your moment to say yes to Jesus because I don't know. I will tell you this. I told, I told our, our, our Sunday serve team earlier this morning that, you know, we said we're, that at Cape Cod Church, we, we have a culture of celebration that reflects heaven. In other words, what heaven celebrates, we celebrate. And I'll tell you something to celebrate. Last Sunday in this service, at the end of the Hidden Me service, when we talked about how God makes beautiful things out of broken things, we invited people to say yes. And seven people last weekend said yes to Jesus in that moment. Yeah, that's... So, so I love that because you don't know, I don't, I don't know hardly any of those stories. I just know that, that, that God is at work and when we invite him in, he does things. Yeah, I'll tell you something else that's really cool. Four of those were sitting right here, but three of those were people who were visiting and watching online and we see you and we're glad you're with us because you don't know where God is working and what he's doing. You're just opening the door. You're just putting it out there and saying, God, what are you doing? And, and oftentimes it's just an invitation to say, this is my moment to say yes to the gift of Jesus because it's not about earning. It's not about what we do. It's about what he has done. So here's what I want to do. I want to take just a few minutes and put all of this together. And I want to talk very practically about three things that happen when you said yes to Jesus. And if you're sitting here and you're like, I haven't, I haven't said yes. So this is like a preview. And we'll get to the end, and I'll give you a chance. I, I'm, I'm the same thing every week. But, but I, I just want to take a minute and talk about, like, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, we embrace the gift of salvation that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. What is it that happens in me? So if you've got your notes and you're writing things down, you can, you can pull this out, because here's where we're going to begin. It says, it, here's where we begin. You become a part of his family. Now, there's a big fancy word that describes this whole process. We call it justification. You can just, you, you, you have that now and you know how to spell it because I put it there for you. I didn't even make you spell it out, right? But really, here's what's happening. You become part of his family. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. When you said yes to Jesus, you were accepting a gift. You were literally being adopted into his family. Let me draw an important distinction. Every person in this world, no matter what they have done with Jesus Christ, is made in the image of God. And because they are made in the image of God, they have inherent value, not because of what they do or what they've said yes to or what they've said no to or how accomplished they are or how skilled they are or how... None of that matters. All that matters is they bear the image of God and every person born into this world bears the image of God. But you are placed in God's family when you are adopted by him because you said yes to the gift of his son. And we literally become a part of his 
family. And he uses this term throughout the New Testament. You are adopted into the family, his family. You're made a son or a daughter. I love, here's, here's what it says in Colossians 1, verse 27. It says, God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ are for your Gentiles too. It's, for most of us, this applies widely to us, right? And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his, his glory. This is, don't underestimate this. You're, you're going to see it come up a few more times in a moment, but don't underestimate this. Christ lives in you. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were adopted into his family. And that adoption was sealed by his presence in you. Jesus Christ dwelling in you. His spirit in you. Listen, that doesn't mean his memory lives in you. That's not, that, that, that's not enough, right? It doesn't mean his teachings live in you. It doesn't mean that some good feeling about Jesus lives in you. This is the mystery, the secret of what God is doing in this world is that Christ in his spirit dwells, lives in you. You say, what does that mean? I don't know what it fully means. And someday, someday when we get to eternity, we'll fully understand what that means. But what we do know is he's saying, listen, you are adopted into your family and my spirit, the spirit of Jesus comes and dwells and lives inside of you. And this is what changes you forever. This is the process of of how we grow and what God is doing in our life. And, and, and here's something that's beautiful and you shouldn't, you shouldn't miss. And when he comes to live in you, he's not leaving. This is this second principle that I, I just want to kind of camp on. We call it eternal security. But I just, I just think if we're going to talk about what happens when you say yes to Jesus, and this is, this is important, your salvation is final. Let me, let me read to you what else it says. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now watch this. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, his spirit in you is that which seals you. And it's using a term like you would, like you would uh, seal, uh, uh, if you were canning vegetables, you were sealing, you were preserving the life for the appropriate time. And he says, listen, he places his spirit in you and it seals you, it secures you, it keeps you safe. This is one of the best passages, John chapter 10 and verse 28. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I give them eternal life. And he goes on to say, he says, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus is here describing this, this gift of salvation, this thing that happens when you say yes to Jesus. He says, he says, I give them eternal life and no one, no one, no one, not you, not you, not you, not me, no one can snatch it out of my hand. This is secure. But then he's not, he's not done. He goes on to say, my father who has given them me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I 
and the Father are one. I love this picture. I've, I've always called it, it's like a two-fisted guarantee. It's like Jesus said, listen, you're not holding on to me, I'm holding on to you. That's the nature of salvation. You didn't get this gift of salvation because of what you do, and you won't lose it because of what you do. You're not holding on to me, I'm holding on to you. And not only that, my Father is holding. It's like he, says, he says, I've got you in my hand, my Father's got you in my hand, and no one, no one, no one can change that gift. Now, here's what you're thinking. You're, you're, you're maybe you're doing the math and you're saying, well, Ben, what if, <laughs> you know, what if I, you know, do something, do something wrong? Because clearly none of us are perfect. Like, where's the line? What, what, if, I, what if I do something? What, what if I did this? Or what if I did this? And, and, and we draw the line. And, and here's, what I, here's what I want to say about that. When, when, when Christ comes to dwell in you, he does something to you. That's an inevitable part of the process. He changes you. He brings conviction into your life. He convicts you about things that were not meant for you. And that conviction leads to change. And I, I want to say this. I want to say this. If, if, you've, if you've had a form of religion, and maybe you've gone to church, and maybe you've gone to this church, and maybe you've read the Bible, and maybe you even prayed a prayer, but you've never experienced that conviction, and you've never seen some kind of change in your life. You've, you've never felt the conviction of God and seen your heart turn towards something else and seen the beginning of change. If you've never encountered his peace and found a new peace that didn't come from you but came from him, or a conviction, or a change in sin or overcoming an addiction or overcoming a habit. Listen, if nothing has happened, then you should go back and, and meet Jesus where he is. Because when he comes in your life, he inevitably changes you. Doesn't mean he makes you perfect, but he begins to form and change and convict and lead in my life. That's what happens. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, that's the third point, the third thing that happens when you, you say yes to Jesus. If the first word was justification and the second one is eternal security, then the third one is sanctification. That's a big word. And, and, and it's the word we use to describe a process. Uh, sometimes the process is called discipleship, and some call it spiritual formation or spiritual maturity or growth. But we, we used this term last, last fall, and I like it. It, it. it has to do with a life of discovery. And here's how I'd put it. Your life of discovery is just beginning. It's this process that because, because Jesus in his spirit is living in you, like the, the resurrected Jesus, look at me, he's transforming you. And it's a lifelong process. I was on the phone, uh, a Zoom call with, with one of my mentors the other day, and we get together every couple of months, and uh, he's an older pastor, and we were just talking, and I just told him, I said, I, I, honestly, I've been pastoring for 30 years, and I'm amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at how much I don't have. And we were just talking through just a, a, an area of spiritual growth, and, and, and it's just an area where I've seen God doing some work, and I'm like, how is that after 30 years of pastoring and preaching this stuff to people, I still don't have it all figured out, and I'm still finding areas to grow in, because that's the nature of sanctification. We're never arrived. We're always discovering. That's why it's called a life of discovery, because here's what I'm discovering. I'm discovering who Christ is in me, and what he wants and what it looks like. And the more I discover, the more I discover what he wants for me and what this life of freedom looks like. 
It's not meant to be a story of, hey, 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 stop that. That's not, that's not what he's doing. It's a life of freedom. It's a life where he's in us and he's showing us the pathway to flourishing. And more and more, we're discovering who he is and what he's doing. Because of it, we're becoming more like him. We're being set free from old ways and old things. We're being transformed. That's what it, that's what it says in, in Romans chapter 6. What a powerful passage this is. Starting in verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning? That's for those who have been adopted into the family and Christ is living in you. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Listen, God is gracious and he's merciful and he's, he's patient. Does he put up with you? My goodness, does he put up with us? I mean, how much has God put up with you for? <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. When I was talking with my friend, I'm like, he put up with 30 years of this not getting it stuff. Like, he's patient. But he wants more for us. Verse 2, he goes on to say, of course not. Since, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? In other words, since you've been set free, since you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, why would you keep on living in that stuff that's broken and, and not meant for you? Verse 3, he says, or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we, were, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin, watch this, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Wouldn't you like that to be true? You don't have to raise your hand, say amen, elbow the person next to you. Do you just have something in your life you just wish didn't have power over you that has power over you? That's what he's saying here. You've been set free. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to live in slavery to that. That's what next, next sentence. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ Jesus, we were set free. From the power of sin. When we died with Christ Jesus, when we said yes to him, when we became a part of his family, we were adopted in, we were set free. What does that mean, Ben? You just said you had 30 years and you haven't been set free from all of it. It's a life of discovery. The more you discover about him, the more you're set free. That's what happens. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I did one of those, uh, those genetic, uh, those, the 23 and Me. find out your family history, find out where you're from. Anybody else done, anybody done these, all right? Yeah. I'm the only dummy who gave up all my genetic information. <laughs> right? You don't have to admit it. So I did this thing, and I, I don't know, I was probably curious, like, you know, were my parents right about our, you know, our ancestry, and so I got it, and and I keep, it's been a couple of years, I never look at the thing, I keep getting, you know, emails all the time, and they'll say, oh, you have new relatives, I'm like, I can't afford, no, right? <laughs> and, uh, 
And, and then and I saw one the other day. I don't know why it was, new information. I said, I'm going to check it out. And I, honestly, you know, you're looking at this thing hoping to find something exotic, right? Like, oh, wow, check that out. You know, I've got some Egyptian in me or something. I don't know. But nope, nope, you're just all Irish, Scottish, a little bit of German, just like you thought. Sunburns every day. That's your future, right? You know, it's just... But... I, I was looking through it, and I noticed something. It said, you are in the, like, top 10, top, top 13, 17, 17, top 17% of all people. You have more Neanderthal in you <laughs> than most anyone. I don't even know how, I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not making a case for Neanderthal. I don't know how they figured that out, but I'm like, they're like, you could be almost 2% Neanderthal. I'm like, well, that explains it, folks. <laughs> I got, I, right? I got my excuse. Next time I just can't, can't control my anger, it's not my fault. I'm 2% Neanderthal. <laughs> I don't let you out in traffic. I'm sorry, it's the Neanderthal in me. Right? There's a reason I'm not a vegetarian. I'm a Neanderthal. Right? It's convenient, isn't it? We do this all the time. Ah. I can't help it. It's who I am. It's how I was raised. I've never been able to beat that. Do you see now why 1 John 4, 4 is so powerful? Do you remember what it said? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Did you catch that? Greater is he that is in, in me than he that is in the world. Hmm. He's in you. When you said yes to Jesus, you were adopted into his family, and he sealed the deal with his spirit, and he ain't leaving. He's in us. Do you want to know the tree, uh, the, the, the key, the story of a life of discovery? He that's in you. You, you see... Sometimes I'm convinced that we just have to sit back and be aware of the presence of God in us and what he's doing. And his presence in us sets us free. It transforms us. But we're so busy, we're so hurried, we don't have time. I'm just saying sit with no distractions. Put a timer on your phone. Take five minutes to think of nothing else but Christ in you. Because that's what he said. He's in us. He's with us. He's not leaving us. And because of Jesus, you are saved. It's a gift. 
and you are secure, it's unchanging, and you are set free to a new life. And sometimes we just need a moment to just to step back in the clarity of what Jesus was actually saying. And to be reminded, Jesus, you're with me. And because of you, I've been saved. And I'm secure. And set free. And, and we may need, in a moment, you just may want those quiet few moments to just repeat that to him in prayer. But maybe since the very beginning of this message, you've been sitting there saying, I need to say yes to Jesus Christ. I need to take a step of faith, of believing in Jesus and invite him into my life. Listen, I know this. I know your story didn't start here. But I know that Jesus said, wherever two or more of us are gathered, he's here and he's at work. That means he's at work in your life. And maybe he's calling to you. And this is your moment to say yes to him. And if that's true, I wouldn't want to give this opportunity a pass. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In the quiet of this moment, you, You may need to just sit there as one who said yes to Jesus and just be keenly aware of his presence in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are saved, secure, set free. And maybe you're here and you say, Ben, you don't know my whole story, but God got me here today. Maybe you're watching online, taking this all in. And maybe you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ. You may have been in church all your life, or this may be your first time. You may be able to quote the books of the Bible, and you may not know the Old Testament from the New Testament. It doesn't really matter. If he's calling you, this is your moment to say yes to his gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. That's you. I want to invite you to pray with me. Listen, it should be clear now. There's no magic words. Saying the words that Pastor Ben says doesn't make anything true. It's belief. It's faith. It's the prayer of faith. It's not great faith, a mountain of faith. Even a tiny bit of faith placed 
in Jesus Christ is all it takes. So I invite you to pray with me. You might pray something like this, dear God, you know my story. Everything that got me right here. And I believe you're calling me. And right here, in this moment, I say yes. I invite you into my life to dwell in me, to save me once and for all, set free. And I believe, Jesus Christ, you are the one who has done all of it. And I accept your gift. And I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing a song in a moment, and then we've got some, we've got some fun stuff after that. But I feel like we probably need a moment of worship together. Maybe you need a moment where you don't sing, where you just are aware of his presence in your life. Maybe you need to continue praying. That's, that's what this moment is for. Or maybe the words of this song, God, you are so good will become your prayer. Say it each week if you're here and you took that step of faith just now saying yes to Jesus Christ. I hope that before you go, you'll let us know. We want to celebrate with you. Um, there's a connect card and a chair in front of you. There's a place that says, I've committed my life to Christ. Take that to the desk in the lobby and we've got a, a Bible and a reading guide that we're going to send you home with and get you started. If you're online, just click the connect card button and we'll send that to you this week. We want to be a part of the celebration with the best gift we can think of, uh, a Bible and an easy to understand translation with a guide to get you started. And we hope you'll, we hope you'll take that today. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 10 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts. Or join us for our Sunday live stream on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.